You're listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast Nordics, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordic region. I'm Sam Williamson. I help connect businesses with their tech talent. Today, I'm your host. Welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dimitar, Fred, Johan, and Sorin to discuss the topic of how to get the best out of your team. Before we delve deeper into this topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. Dimitar, would you like to kick us off? Thank you, Willem. Yeah, uh, some. <laughs> uh, so my name is Dimitar. I'm originally from Bulgaria and currently I work at Maersk as Senior Scrum Master. Excellent. And Fred? Hi, uh, my name is uh, Fred. Uh, I uh, work for uh, Plan A, where I'm the Director of uh, Growth Marketing, also advisor to e-commerce uh, platform Fastspring. Fantastic. And Johan? Yeah, my name is uh, Johan Scholz-Fleischer, and uh, I have a master's degree in mechanical engineering, uh, and uh, I've been at Novo Nordisk since 2016. And uh, at work, I'm lead metrology engineer um, and uh, area process manager for the metrology process covering the functional area called CMC developments. And uh, for those that don't know, metrology is all about ensuring reliable and traceable measurements in critical processes. Fantastic. And last but not least, Soren. Hi, my name is uh, Søren Ulrikeholm. I'm Director of Operations at Shape. And basically at Shape, we make apps for a lot of big companies around the world. Fantastic. And now we've established a context around each of you. Let's move into the topic in focus. You all have a question or a statement on how to get the best out of your team. And as usual, I'll work around the room, suppose your questions and the reasons behind it to each have an opportunity to give your take on the situation. So I believe today we're going to start with Soren. Um, his is around recognition. So how do you show recognition and highlight the meaningful impact of individual contrib- contributions? Soren, would you like to give some context before we go to the first answer? Yeah, I'd love to. It's um, This is a topic that we've spent a lot of time discussing internally at Shape. I think uh, ultimately what you want out of your team is for them to perform well and stay with you for a long time. If you can do that, then you're pretty good. And so that, that's basically talking about performance and long-term retention. And so <clears throat> two of the main parameters that we focus on are growth and recognition. And so growth is a really important parameter uh, in terms of performance and long-term retention. So I think everybody wants to feel like they're growing. You need to feel a sense of genuine accomplishment uh, through your work. And that sort of enables you to basically be happy and be a well-performing employee. And as a leader, you want to see your team improving their skill sets and their output over time. So there's like a really good dynamics there where it's in everyone's best intention to uh, provide growth. And you can do that through many different channels. You can provide training and you can provide different challenging work tasks, new uh, experiences. There's a lot of ways that you can enable growth. So at least for us, growth is like the that's the easy win. That's the one where you can you can get some some good traction. The one that's super difficult to talk about or to provide in a meaningful way is recognition. And so when you want to quantify the growth that you're providing, that's where you where you look to re, to recognition, and 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 there, there there are many ways that you can provide recognition, but there are 
a few meaningful ways that you can do it, or at least they're they're tricky to find. So when when you talk about the low low hanging fruits in recognition, those are job titles and salary bumps. So basically, you can say, hey, you did a good job. Now we promote you to a new title. Or wow, that was a really good performance last year. Here's a fantastic salary bump for you. Um, so I think the problem with those parameters or those ways of providing recognition is that they're not really intrinsic. They're not meaningful things for a human being. They're nice. You can brag about it, but they're not something that makes you feel better as a human being. So they're a little bit superficial and that makes them very short-lived as a as a as a mean meaningful way of providing recognition. So you'll give a, a new job title, you give a, a salary increase, and someone will be happy for the next 24 hours, and then they forget about it. So you sort of need to provide recognition that makes you feel and understand internally and genuinely that that you are growing and that you're also being recognized from your work for that growth. And so. That's basically where I'll, I'll leave this question open to the to the group here. So if you if you're not allowed to use the straightforward tools, which are job titles and salaries, what do you do then? That's some excellent context. Excellent. Johan, have you got anything to add to that? Yes, I'll I'll do my best because uh, I'm managing a process and not people, so I I don't I'm not uh, able to uh, to recognize with the uh, um, financial. Uh, incentives uh, or anything like that so i, I actually have am forced <laughs> to use use other methods um and uh, i also think a lot about this in my work because uh, i'm i'm managing as, as a process manager there are roles in the process there are people in in a group that uh, that i lead on a technical level uh, and uh, what i do is i i try to uh, um to make people feel ownership of their responsibility. And that's at least what works for myself. Um, and I don't, don't hold back on saying thank you and praising colleagues for their contributions. Um, and, uh, and I will also always praise a good quality mindset. I think that's extremely important where I am because quality in a company that makes uh, um, medicine is, is uh, of course uh, uh, vital. Um, um, yeah, and the projects that I run or work on are, are not in the, in the daily operations. So for those that contribute uh, to them, it's perceived as add-ons or side projects, um, and and therefore they have to see meaning to to take part in, in them. Otherwise, it wouldn't make sense for them to spend their time, and their manager would would pull them out if it didn't uh, make sense. Um, and um, yeah, that means it means that they have to go out of their way to contribute, and I try to keep a, a situational awareness around that. and 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 actually thank them for for spending their uh, their valuable time on uh, on these projects. Uh, and I think instant feedback is also extremely um, important that you don't, uh, there's no reason to gather up a lot and then tell them uh, thank you at a monthly meeting that you might have, or maybe even yearly at some companies. Uh, it's much better to to say it in the moment that this was really well done and this is exactly what uh, what we like to see and, and the way that we would like to uh, move forward. 
Um, and I actually have a small example of this uh, that I prepared. So uh, I teach internal courses in metrology and calibration, and these are actually mandatory for the people that need to work with these tasks. And uh, a couple of years ago, there was two attendees who were young apprentices. Um, and for some reason, they showed very strong and genuine interest in the subject. It wasn't just, oh, it's mandatory. We have to be here. They they really wanted to get everything out of it and understand metrology, which is a tough subject, to be honest. Uh, so uh, I actually, I was so impressed by this uh, that I decided to to immediately after the course uh, with, uh, sent them both an email with CC to their manager, uh, writing my uh, thoughts about it and my appreciation. And I made sure to, to write it in a way uh, that they could use that in a future job uh, interview uh, sometime. Uh, and I know that that really meant a lot to them. So they did something uh, that um, more than than was expected, you could say, and and I tried to give back with what I could in that regard, and uh, yeah, so that's my example. Mm-hmm. Great example that, Johan. Fred, have you got anything to add to to Soren's question there? Yeah, absolutely. A uh, really good question. Uh, I lead a team, planned uh, a, a growth team, right where. Uh, uh, you know, we have revenue targets and we're running all the time. And uh, sometimes, you know, it, it's hard to 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 try to give recognition. So I, I've been trying to work a lot on this. And the way I, the way I see it uh, has worked is that uh, as a leader, you usually you will have a one on one. So what I notice is the first important to understand what what is it that makes people tick? Uh, especially when it comes to this. So how, how does people want want feedback? Because, you know, the fact is, and I've experienced this, some people don't want to be called out, for instance, in a group, even in a positive way. Like some people generally don't like that. So you kind of have to first uh, understand that what, what what is it that, what's the best way you can give uh, uh, the, uh, to approach these people, right? So once once you kind of figure that out, uh, before you can give recognition, you have to also make sure that they understand what they're being recognized for. So what I'm talking about here is purpose. So uh, purpose comes in two ways. And there is actually a great TED talk about the subject that talks about there's purpose with a big P and there's purpose with a small P, right? And most of the times you might be working in an organization or something where you're not changing the world necessarily. For instance, in Plan A, we're helping people schedule their staff, right? So we're not really, you know, uh, changing the climate or anything like that. So, uh, so, so you might not get that big purpose uh, with uh, uh, the purpose with a big P, but the purpose with a small P is is something that you can give them. Uh, that tells them how they contribute to the overall goal. And I think it's super important that that everyone on your team uh, understands that because then you can uh, uh, give them recognition uh, uh, for that. Uh, because otherwise it's easy to, to actually be in a situation that's happened to me that you, you, you praise them and give something, but either maybe it wasn't them who did it or they didn't even know kind of why they were being recognized. So. Those are sort of like the strategies that I do. And then on the tactical side, uh, uh, I, I also agree with uh, 
uh, uh, what was previously said that you kind of always have to make sure that you don't wait and then and then give it. You try to do it in kind of like micro doses where you're like, you know, in the in the in the lunchroom or in the cantina, you say like, "Hey, I saw you did that. That was that was super good." Uh, you know, and I try to do that not just for my team, uh, but also for other teams because one of the key factors for the success of my team is actually that we're successfully working with other teams. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, I think that that's my answer. That's fantastic answer, uh, Dimitar. We're going to come to you uh, next. Thank you. Uh, I feel like one of my points uh, would uh, very naturally fit into what you just mentioned, Fred. Uh, so exactly as you mentioned, uh, people, uh, different people take, uh, take recognition differently and have different needs. So I personally am also with software engineering background. So what I'm trying to, to always keep is uh, conversation on the level of uh, in between equals. And then trying to, to remember uh, when I was in, in the situation as being engineer, what mattered to, to me. And it is not a recipe because everyone is different, but I try to, to for example, meet every single attention to detail and uh, every single kind of moment of brilliance that they have, uh, meet it with genuine appreciation. And in that sense, uh, the, the recognition, uh, I found that sometimes it doesn't need to be really directed at anyone. Just saying, for example, oh, this... Uh, um, this nice small feature, for example, of uh, uh, of just the, uh, the the button is slightly bigger. It was not in the uh, it was not in the mockups, but we thought, yeah, it will be easier to click for for people uh, for people who are using smaller devices. So this nice attention to detail, uh, even though without calling names, the people who did it know that they, they spent some thought into it, and and now can feel proud that uh, they are the ones who who did it. So keeping the, the conversation uh, on such a level of uh, genuinely being excited uh, and uh, keeping in mind that uh, anything that, uh, uh, that you as a leader, whether formal or informal, in my case, it is usually informal, uh, people psychologically attribute more to it, so put more weight. So in that sense, uh, everything, even small things matter. And uh, I, I found also uh, that, uh, that it's really nice when we have a conversation and try to plan together, for example, a presentation, and then the recognition for what people have done, they can reap it uh, on their own. If it feel if they feel like uh, if they feel comfortable enough to to present themselves, so encouraging them to to take a step forward to to be out there on the spotlight potentially and uh, reaping the benefits themselves. Not everyone does it, but some people, even though they are they are initially. Uh, they feel the pressure and might be reluctant to to do it with proper support. It uh, they actually feel super happy about it. Great points there as well, Dimitar. So we're back round to you. Would you like to round up everyone's answers and perhaps give a bit of an answer yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, I'm thrilled about the, everyone's answers. I think it's really interesting to get get this input. Uh, I, I especially like this 
thing about being aware what types of recognition work for the individual because i think that's a very that's a very uh, true truth that that not everyone enjoys the entire room standing up and giving them a, a round of, of standing ovations um and so so there are multiple different ways that you need to go about this and and i think that's also the conclusion that we've sort of arrived at um on, on my team and in, in in my company is that there's not there's not one magic key for this. This is really about a mentality of the entire team, where you are aware of making sure that when uh, someone does a good job, you need to recognize that and you need to address that in all of the ways that's been mentioned here. You need to do it immediately. You need to do it in a meaningful way. You need to do it. Also, it needs to come from your heart, right? I think you also need to have a mentality of only providing genuine feedback and genuine positive feedback can easily fall in the trap of being that guy that just always gives you a high five for, for whatever shit you did and you kind of know yourself you didn't really deserve a high five for that but and then then that erodes the entire thing a little bit so i i really enjoyed the answers from everyone um yeah thanks a lot for that excellent thanks guys and we'll we'll move now on to johan's question um he wanted to pose to everyone, how do you avoid silos of knowledge within your organization? And I know he's got a bit of context to add there for everyone before we, we go around. Yes, thank you. So what I mean by that is uh, if your organization is small or your highly technically skilled staff is centralized, then you might not have this problem, but uh, it, it can arise at some point. Um, is, so what I mean is if if that staff is decentralized uh, or it's a large organization, uh, then it would be unavoidable geographically that these silos of knowledge uh, start appearing. Uh, and uh, I just want to ask, how do you ensure that knowledge, ideas and solutions flow freely across the organization in your organizations? Excellent question. Fred, I do believe we're coming to you first for this one. Uh that's a that's a great question. I struggle with it. And um, I mean, especially as I mentioned before, uh, growth is uh, is really a cross. Uh, I mean, it's a buzzword to start with, but uh, uh, but but you work cross functionally, right? So my role uh, is usually either in marketing or I sit in product. Uh, uh, and my dream is to sit in my own team that is just outside all of these teams, uh, which you see in the, the really successful uh, companies. Uh, but one of the things to, uh, to, to be able to get the success is this, is you need to gain uh, knowledge, right? Uh, because knowledge can very, very easily, as you said, get stuck in one department, right? And the way the way I work when it comes to so the fuel of my work is IDs right so ideation, and you know uh, an ID comes in and more people look at it and refine it and becomes a better idea, uh, right? It's it's kind of the uh, uh, the same thing. So for, for IDs to happen, you need knowledge. Uh, so you need uh, to be able to collect this at uh, at some sort of central place, right? So what I thought about this is really you need to put in some sort of guardrails. You need to avoid tons of tools, right? Uh, you kind of need to have a set way how we do knowledge sharing in the organization, not just the company. And uh, so that might be, you know, 
hey, I'm the first one that gets cranky when I ask IT for a for a for a for a tool, and they say no. But now, when I'm more senior, I'm like, I wish I had more IT people that would say no because there's these tools popping up everywhere, you know. Uh, so, so you really need to have. This is the how organization is sharing knowledge. You need to have an owner for that, and uh, and you need to provide uh, training in it in that process. Uh, and then all of a sudden, once that knowledge is being grown in one place, more people are starting to see it. Uh, that, that's when you, I think you're uh, you're avoiding uh, uh, this knowledge to uh, end up in uh, in silos. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I want to follow up on that quickly with you, Fred. If that's okay. So, are you talking about governance of uh, of the knowledge, and uh, how do you do that uh, where you are? Yeah, so uh, I wouldn't say that we're that we're that we're there yet. Uh, but uh, the way I the way I try to do it is so I, for instance, let's take an example: uh, uh, knowledge about our customers. So we have all these different teams that work sort of in that spectrum. So you have our product researchers on the product side, they go and do research studies and they find out about the things. And then you have the product marketing people that do these big uh, uh, Ipsos research uh, that finds out a lot of knowledge about the sector or something. And then you have the growth team that runs a lot of experiments and knows everything about quantity data. Uh, and the way I do it is I actually just try to create a, uh, a, a community of it uh, first where we at least uh, on a on a verbal basis we have agreed that let's let's just put this on this place in SharePoint like as mm. a as a as a start right but then in uh, when I worked at SKF a huge company it was basically you know uh, they had people only making sure that knowledge was working like you couldn't use different tools it was like they had quality data manuals that basically said you if you know something about the customer that you think others uh 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 would have value of please follow this checklist and add it there it's boring it sounds boring but i mean a lot it's a lot of there i think the success is you spend so much time making sure that this knowledge sharing is working it's humming mm. you know it just gets added more and more layers to it and then it just becomes you know, wow, everyone knows so much and innovation will come out of it and, and ideas will come out of it. I don't know. Hopefully that makes sense. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, excellent. Dimitar, we'll come to you next. Thank you. I'm thinking, uh, before I, I go for answering the question, I'm thinking there are also different types of information and knowledge floating around. And maybe the, uh, avoiding the silos of, of knowledge is not always preferable because there is so much uh, information overload. So in the essence of uh, having a lot of information shared, also, information gets lost, buried in you know the, the the tons of other info, and then when it's not discoverable, it's hard to discover. It becomes so so uh, the usefulness of it diminishes. So in that sense. Uh, I think it's very important to start with being strategic first, what types of information uh, we should avoid creating silos. And I can say typically, and uh, for example, at Maersk, uh, information that is uh, that is freely shared and is picked up is uh, the, the one coming in the communities of practice. 
because people naturally care about it and uh, it helps them uh, their own development. So they're engaging on tooling, engaging on uh, uh, sharing new technologies that are found, tips and tricks and so on. It simply comes naturally. So the, uh, I found communities of practice and any other social structure to, to be naturally uh, extremely good at, uh, at avoiding and uh, avoiding such silos of knowledge. Yeah, so uh, sorry, to, uh, I, 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 I raised my hand a little bit because I thought that was a brilliant answer and it just got my head triggered because you're absolutely, you're absolutely right because, uh, you know, there's also you know silos can be created in that it is too much knowledge right and so it's kind of like when you look at data uh you know usually uh, people will try to cram as much data as they can into a dashboard no one has n any idea what this is showing and what the purpose is i think it's probably the same with uh, with knowledge if there's too much knowledge or if it's unclear who is owning a piece of knowledge then how can you then create the good governance? That's I think that's super, uh, super good. So maybe it needs to start on that strategic part, like what are the things that I should share? Why should I share it? And 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 then, okay, where do I put it? Uh, so you can kind of not, if you have a backlog with 200 things, you, you'll never get anything done. That's why you kind of clean up your backlog, right? Yeah, <laughs> so, precisely. Uh, I love that. Thank you. Is any more else for, for you to add to the answer? No, no, I don't think so. We can end on this note from me. Awesome. But, Siren? Yeah, I share Fred's enthusiasm about this point about making sure that information is uh, is always relevant. You you really you close your ears when you uh, discover that some channel of or stream of information just contains too much noise. Then you just you don't put in the effort to pick out the things that are actually relevant. So I think that's that's maybe a really really good place to start to make sure that you do that. And then from there, it's maybe as a, a question of 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 tooling and mindsets. I think so. We ha we're we're quite blessed to be a small organization. We're just a hundred people, but I think we are facing a lot of the same issues that big organizations uh, share there's a lot of things that you want everyone to know at all at all times but but that's not really a, a good way to do that and then um, and then either you, you and nobody knows anything or you have this like tribal knowledge on the different teams and we're really focused on making sure that we, we avoid tribal knowledge so that's one of the things that, that we focus on at least and and we try to document everything we do so if someone asks me for a license for a certain tool i'll make sure to put that in a documentation somewhere in a shared knowledge base and make sure to make that available and accessible to everyone and then the problem is that nobody reads that documentation and think that's that's a a base base thing about uh, documentation that nobody ever reads it but anyway i think you can train the mentality of looking for that information over time so every the next time someone asks me about this license that i just documented i won't give them the answer i'll just post a link to the the documentation and then if everyone does that over time there's this shared mentality of making sure both to document the things that you're doing so you make sure that you don't build up tribal knowledge but also that the answer to something is readily available most of the times if you take a split second to go look for it and that requires you to have good tools um, 
and maybe in some cases you also need different types of tools and so what we do is every time we broadcast information whether that's to the entire organization or to a specific team we make sure so we you use slack for our internal communication so we'll post it on slack with a link to our knowledge base or the project knowledge base and make it available through that and sometimes we'll even even follow it up with a an email as well so it's also about having this awareness that a lot of people will uh, not really pay attention because you are overloading them, them with stuff all the time so you also need to be a little bit overbearing with that and make sure that you give everyone plenty of opportunities to come across the information that you're trying to share and in that way you make sure that it gets distributed to everyone um, what we do with um, with all of the projects that we work on we've tried to identify a uniform way of structuring information on a project so we make sure that if you're going to a new project then you probably know what you need to know or you, you know the information you're looking for so how do i get set up with the development environment what servers are we using for this thing and so that needs to be the same way that you find that information from project to project and i think that's also that's a, a silo of maybe not knowledge but like a, a silo of ways of working that you need to try to make that somewhat uniform across the teams that you're working with but still enable that flexibility that makes it fun to work on something and not feel like you're part of this big machine um so i think those are some of the things that we that we try to focus on yeah when it comes to documentation uh i have a lot of experience on uh, exactly trying to promote documentation with engineering teams and typically documentation is not uh, the most sexy thing to, to work on so mm, what I found is that uh, usually people don't find the value to, to write the documentation. Uh, and so initially when uh, a lot of support is necessary in order to get started, it's similar with, with any other initiative. Uh, to be intentional and to, to build some foundations, show the value. And I personally, whenever I've written a document and uh, then it's, uh, I answer a few questions by just sharing a link, I personally have felt quite quite good. And uh, when people start referring, they, they naturally do, uh, then it starts picking up on, on its own. And uh, I've seen several of, of my teams that I've worked with previously uh, that in the beginning, yeah, they were reluctant in terms of documentation. They, they thought I was asking them to, to write, for example, too much. It would be too much maintenance. But once they, they see, for example, that eliminates some of the overhead, uh, for for them to uh, to communicate all of the ad hoc one one pings and so on, uh, and it helps onboarding new people. It helps themselves. Uh, it helps them to to remember stuff that otherwise they wouldn't remember. Some decisions and alternatives that were considered. Then it uh, it starts being a machine on its own. Again, a social structure in a way. Binding it to to, to where uh, how the information flows and where it should be. I think that, uh, sorry, uh, you start to that point. I think it's, uh, uh, in growth, we talk about SOP, standard operating procedures, kind of <laughs> like the military. Yeah. That's really how you scale uh, because there's so much time being spent and wasted on trying to figure, figure it out. So I uh, absolutely agree with that. Excellent. Johan, we'll come back around to you if you've got anything to add to the guys' answer. 
I definitely have something to add. I think it was uh, some great responses, really interesting. And I feel like I'm hearing this from uh, people from the real world because uh, <laughs> when I, I need to add context to that because I work at a, at a, at a heavily regulated company, of course, um, meaning we have something called good documentation practice, meaning that we have all this information in the, in SOPs, as you said, uh, and um, we have audit trails for uh, changes and we have change control that we need to follow uh, everything is divided into these uh, this process uh, landscape and uh, uh, so the point with that is that parallel to the traditional organizational management structure which every company has we also have a uh, process management structure next to that and that means that processes like uh, that could be metrology as i work with and uh, transport and change control and facility management uh, almost anything you can think of uh, have appointed roles and forums across the value chain uh, and also management governance there's an owner there's a manager that's actually an owner of each process uh, uh, that we have to uh, to do a process uh, review for uh, every year, and um, and uh, interfacing between processes is also a big deal, and um, and uh, it's layered. So so this SOP that covers uh, uh, you know we we have a quality manual, and um, and you can say that the SOPs are layered in a way that that the top SOPs they cover the entire company and you have to follow those and then there's SOP below those that cannot uh, negate those above them <laughs> but they can um, uh, tighten the requirements even more if required um, and uh, this whole structure means that the knowledge is is shared there's just no way around it um, of course uh, there's also a lot of knowledge that's not part of the what's regulated, and that's uh, improvements and uh, um, digitalization projects, for example. But that's where the uh, the forums uh, come in, uh, where um, there's a representative from each department that takes part, and that means that uh, um, um, uh, problems, issues, ideas can can reach the whole organization very quickly. Um, and this this approach is, is essential for us to drive this standardization and digitalization strategy that we have across the company. And I think we've come a very long way with this actually. Uh, mm. Oh, I want to add actually, I want to add one thing. So just for, for reference, in uh, back in the day when I was a student at DTU, I was part of a volunteering comp uh, organization, and we uh, our way of knowledge sharing we were hundred people, like in uh, like in in shape so on, uh, and and we used Wikipedia back then. We had a self-hosted Wikipedia hmm. <laughs> to share knowledge. Uh, there was nothing called SharePoint back then, <laughs> but maybe it's it's sort of the same thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, we'll move on to the, the next question. Uh, Fred uh, has put us forward a great question. So um, how do you as a leader balance high output and maintaining good quality of work? Uh, and what tools and processes and guardrails is, are there, there to help this? So I'll come to Fred first to give a bit of context uh, as usual, and uh, we'll head around the room again. Thanks, yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, in, in my, uh, you know, line of work, you know, uh, a big thing is is about speed. Uh, how fast can we 
uh, test something? How, how how fast can we uh, uh, you know increase our output? And what I what I what I've noticed is, is that you know many times when you when you run and you're trying to do these things, uh, it can be demotivating because if you're hiring uh, high performance individuals uh, that are that have a very high integrity and they're very very good at what they do it is so important for them to be able to uh, when they put their name on something that it's actually quality right and what i'm turning around and saying is screw quality let's just get it out and see what happens <laughs> so and 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 that can sometimes be uh it can be challenging uh and and i've been thinking about the balance like how can uh, uh how can one uh balance you know continuously delivering output and with the process of learning and and uh you know proving uh uh your hypothesis by running these minimal viable tests that i call it and then and then you're all out i roll, roll this out how, uh, how how can you uh find that balance that you actually also allow for individuals to feel that they're all right i put my name on this this is good stuff uh that is that is my question and uh what i've been thinking about a lot oh that's a that's a tough one I at least have uh, have always been in in situations uh, where I had the luxury to uh, to prioritize quality and that would be my personal choice uh but if I'm kind of theorizing about uh, what might help is uh, again from uh, I take everything, try to take it from uh, fundamentals, from the basics and from thinking on the on the same level of, of equals. So I would think that it would be important to, to have a conversation with the people in terms of what expectations shall we set for ourselves? Why is it important? Then, as you mentioned earlier, the, the purpose, uh, whether capital P or no capital P, uh, the, the purpose, why at all uh, a thing is being done, then this might be enough reason to, to overcome the, the natural strive to, to go for quality and uh, uh, it might make it acceptable. So engaging the, the people more and more into the process overall, into the outcome, and not as much into the into the details. Then I've seen people being reluctant also to to lower the the quality standards uh, exactly because it feels unnatural. I myself uh, have been fighting perfectionism for quite a while. I've made some steps, but I can't say that uh, that I found uh, found the balance myself either. Uh, but having some uh, having some assurance that uh, well we are doing something that we don't quite like but uh, but it is clear that soon in, in some time frame we will look into it again so well we can breathe and uh, we can keep it be for a little while and then get back to it and possibly fix it invest into it further so again. Theorizing uh, only. Uh, I don't have uh, personal experience, but I, I hope it gives some ideas about what might work. Yeah. I'll be curious to to hear what others maybe with experience have. 
Sorry, we'll come to you next. Yeah, I think um, I think uh, Frederick, you're venturing into a dangerous territory here. <laughs> the, ti- the title of this podcast was uh, how to ensure uh, high-performing teams, and um, I think what you're describing to me sounds like a sure way to uh, ensure low-performing teams. Um, so, uh, so my initial response to this question would be that you just don't compromise on quality. I think uh, the mindset that we have in our company is that quality is the bottleneck. And so we don't really optimize for high output, but we optimize for quality. And then we change the scope of what we're doing or we change the deadline, but it's not really the quality that we change as a parameter. Um, and the reason for that is, of course, we want to be proud of what we do, but I think that 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 is maybe the factor that allows a team to thrive and be super motivated to go to work and to uh, achieve the highest possible output that they can. And so the thing that you can maybe do um, is that, so if you allow quality to be your like main driver, then you have a team that's super motivated. And then what you can do is to help that team make the right decisions. When we're talking about code and someone who's highly focused on making high quality, you often run into the problem of someone wanting to make everything perfect and it has to be the just the right solution that can scale infinitely and so on and so on. And that's not necessarily the right decision to make in a given uh, situation. So that's where you as a leader can go and help your team which is already they're buzzing with enthusiasm, right? Because they just uh, get to work on this super exciting thing. And then you can maybe guide them in making the right decisions. So they get to focus on the quality and they get to make that high quality output. Um, and I think that's that's what you can do as a leader. But of course, I, I, also, I also want to play with the premise that you are presenting here because I, I also understand that you can't always be in a world where, where things are like this. And so... I think I'd, I'd, I'd do the thought experiment of saying, okay, well, if you believe that, in a sense, you're kind of redefining what quality is, right? Because you're saying the quality for us means a higher output. And then so that's maybe the the mindset that you need to instill in your team to say, is we're looking at quality in the wrong way. This is how we define quality or success as a team. It's about pumping out massive amounts of output and then and then that's a quality in itself um i think i think you're you're in a it's a really tricky situation if you're trying to get the, the the fantastic people that you just described that you're hiring for your team if you're trying to tell them to just do some you just need to do some shit but just do a lot of it and and that's that's maybe a i think a tricky a tricky balance to strike Yes, I was Great. thinking, uh, also listening to this, I was uh, thinking exactly the same, that redefining quality might be really important, exactly to, to bind it to, to everything, because it's an abstract term and it's subject to, to agreement. Very nice. Uh, I like it. Yes, uh, Shamina, sometimes uh, you don't know maybe what uh, what quality is in, in my terms. So, uh, so it's probably different for uh, code. Because yeah, if you write code a lot but you put no comments in it, uh, then no, no one's gonna be able to work with it. So uh, uh, good, good answers so far around. Okay, and Johan. Yeah, uh, this is a really, really, really good question. And 
I, I think I have a quite a special perspective on it. Uh, I don't know if you will find it useful, Frederick, but I'll, I'll give it a try. Um, because quality is the most important thing where I am. It's it's uh, it's about uh, product quality and patient safety ultimately. So we we want to cultivate a strong quality mindset. When that is said, uh, we are a very mature company in this sense, um, and we also so that means we also have a big focus on minimizing overprocessing and. The way we we do that is, of course, we we think about um, the process performance when we uh, when we update our SOPs, and uh, we also cultivate it in the, this this um, uh, mindset in the organization. Um, and uh, a very good uh, way of doing that in in the area where I'm situated is uh, by this uh, Kaizen lean setup, which means that if you, uh, as as an employee, take take an initiative to maybe do it, can be the smallest little thing that will improve your your own situation at work or your uh, teams or maybe cross teams. Maybe you implement some way of uh, yeah sharing knowledge as we talked about before, or maybe uh, you uh, you set up a shelf somewhere where it's always needed to put something in some process. Uh, we um, uh, you're able to get that uh, uh, time prioritized to do that. Uh, improvement, uh, of course, some improvements are also very, very big. Uh, um, but um, but I think the small ones are also very important, and they also give a lot of motivation because you get to uh, implement something that's long lasting, and is uh, often small. These small details uh, that that are improvements. So I think if you actually uh, take a time out and 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 you say, well, I, you guys are working with with IT. It sounds like, so uh, so maybe you could uh, take out a time out and see is is your um, developer environment uh, as good as it can possibly be? Is there some new um, plugin out there that maybe you should look into and and everybody gets? Uh, I, I don't know. It's, I don't work with IT myself, but. Uh, but I mean, uh, there's so much going on in 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 that realm of uh, open source uh, uh, initiatives uh, that you could maybe use. Uh, and for us, it's uh, where I am. It's um, it's also digitalization projects, but it, it's it's also uh, these um, uh, smaller uh, things. Uh, and and uh, we also have a focus on environment actually. Uh, so if we can do a calibration of a big uh, uh, of a weighing system for a big uh, tank um, with by by having a system that pulls the tank down instead of filling it with water, then we are saving a lot on on the environment uh, there, and we also celebrate that. Um, so uh, so I I really love that initiative of of the Kaizen uh, setup, uh, which which basically means. That uh, if you have an idea, you can write it uh, down in in a small system we have. It's just a one-liner maybe, and you can prioritize it with your own team leader. You can also just do it if you have the time, and uh, and then you can uh, you can write that uh, one-liner and how much uh, you uh, estimate that it saves, and uh, that will be on the next uh, team meeting so that. Uh, you get the shine, <laughs> and and you get to share this uh, improvement, and I th- I think that's a huge success. 
Yeah. Yeah. Right. And and building on top of that, uh, I'm thinking there are there are talks about 20% time hackathons and so on. So why not have a quality day. I mean, it should be presented in a different way because otherwise it sounds like, yeah, this is the day we put quality and the rest is no quality, which is not the case. But uh, exactly having some some allowance exactly to to have the Kaizen and to go into it and uh, have your ideas and uh, play with them. Good answer. Some excellent points there. Fred, would you like to kind of round up and perhaps you have a bit of an answer to your own question? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, the, the conclusion on this before I go into uh, what I think the answer is, is, you know, obviously it depends really in, in, in which sector you work on, uh, work in, right? So, you know, if you work in healthcare and, and or, or something where there's, you know, uh, uh, danger for people's lives or whatnot, then you, you, you just can't uh, uh, sacrifice quality. But you probably have an innovation department uh, uh, that might uh, have the freedom to do uh, to try a lot of things uh, with speeds uh, 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 to get more speed out of it, and uh, so so all around was really good, uh, uh, really good answers. And I think uh, the way I see it, uh, it's uh, you know in my line of work, so in, in growth, it's like we don't really know what's going to work. Uh, so I've done tons of A-B testing. And, and even if I think this thing here is going to be so much better than what we have on uh, the website now, I, I, there's a 50% chance that, I, that, I, that, that it's not going to be that. Uh, so so with, that, with knowing that, I know that I have to optimize the process of testing things in like a statistical significant way. Uh, and that's where the, uh, that's where the speed come in, come in. Because if we just sit and do quality, and we spend, you know, a long, long time building this thing that is really, really good. Uh, we think, but it's not properly prioritized. We risk putting something out that's not working, and we, and we wasted all that uh, time. So that means that we we always do things with a process that has a very strong prioritization on on business impact and and with with supporting data. So everything that we do, uh, we it's actually uh based on on uh, on some things that uh, uh indicates that this is going to be uh, to be good and it's it's a it's a it's a hard and disciplined uh process uh, and then i think there are two different people you have speed people and you have uh quality people so when it comes to the testing you i think that you always have to have a plan for after the test the worst thing you can do is run uh, growth experiments and don't clean up the shit afterwards because you're going to hack things together to to do a minimal viable test and and but that's not the same as sustainable business operations so you have to understand and you have to have a plan and you have to communicate and align that to everyone because it, you might have stakeholders that uh wants you to test things so we can increase revenue etc so you have to really really be clear that we're testing these things and that will give us the insight what we're going to spend the time on or what maybe other teams should spend their time on uh, building. Uh, so, uh, so, so that's what I think. It's speed people and quality people. For quality people, instead of them spending too long time building the dream thing, I try to help them chunk it up in pieces, uh, in iterations. Okay, you want to build this thing? Great. How can we pick this apart and, and put maybe the first part live? And then based on that, we'll get the next insight 
that will make the next part even better because it's a 99% chance that when you have the first part up and running, you'll gain so much insight that what you thought would be good, actually, it, it, it's, it's not the same thing. So you kind of, uh, you're actually improving by releasing small, uh, 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 small chunks. So you can see that in software companies that releases very fast, uh, but you know, people, it, it might not be usable for everyone. It might be rough in ages, but they learn so much. So they keep uh, releasing. So that's for quality people. So speed people have a plan after communicate quality people. Let's uh, split it up into pieces uh, and, and iterations. Or you can even have uh, two teams, which I dream of. You have a growth team that just run fast, and then you have another team that just takes the imp the output from the growth team and build the quality part. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic, guys. Well, it looks like we might jump out and run over a little bit here, but I'm really interested to um, get into Dimitar's question um, as I think it rounds off um, this podcast really nicely. So. Dimitar, uh, what are the he, he posed to everyone? What are the key enablers uh, for team growth and improvement? And I'll, I'll come to him first to give a bit of context around this. And actually, I don't have that much context. The, the, the question is rather generic because we, we all have uh, we even now heard about so many different contexts, and uh, I'm rather gathering experiences here. What have you found to to be enabling the the teams to succeed? and a leadership perspective in that sense where you can actually influence i think that's a that's a really interesting question um <clears throat> i think uh, one of the things in in this world that is the most empowering is that someone believes in you and so i think trust is uh, a key for any leader i think it's key that you dare to trust your team and i think you can't really lead anyone who don't feel like you trust in them. So that can be difficult for some leaders who are control freaks or micromanaging. Um, so some people will struggle with this. And I think those people need to learn. I think everything starts with trust. And, and then you can build on that. And for me, the next thing that comes to mind is trying to instill a sense of ownership within your team. So I think, again, you do that in many different ways, but basically you want to end up at a point where anytime your team faces a problem, they don't look to you to fix that problem. They try to fix it themselves and they only ask you to enable them to fix the problems and step in where they need something that they cannot do themselves. And I try to promote that constantly with my teams. I really want everyone to feel like they own a small chunk of the company and they own own a small chunk of what they're working on. And if if everyone has that mindset, I think I've there's some people who uh, describe it as like extreme ownership. But if you can just really say that I own everything around me and I can impact everything around me, then I think your team is in a really good mindset for achieving growth and becoming the best possible team. Um, I think those are the two the two biggest enablers for me in, in my work and that I try to use. And then basically you just have to listen to your team. Once you've given them the room to to grow and to to do the best possible work they can, you just need to listen to what they say and, and do what you can to help them uh, succeed. And I think those are those are just some very simple things that I try to focus on at least. 
Yeah, you mentioned extreme ownership, and I was thinking the, there is a book about it. I assume maybe you've read it. I actually don't know if I read it, but I read I read the title of it, and I think I from that I understood the entire book, and uh, maybe I watched the YouTube video. It's a it's a really simple concept, right? But I think it it holds a lot of truth, and if you can if you can surround yourself, but I think this also requires you as a leader to go first with this. You have to show that mentality to the people on your team, and then it sort of rubs off on everyone else. And uh, I think that's a very powerful thing when once you get to a point where even though you're the leader of a team you're surrounded by a, a team who, who they are also leaders in themselves and they they also feel like they like they own the the company or the problem or the project or whatever you're working on they feel like this is also for them yeah uh, i can say i've read the book you're spot on uh, and uh, i recommend it to, to a lot of people it's it's a really good book nice. a lot around there thank you I too have read the book and it, it, I would recommend it to Jocko Willink. Yeah, fantastic. Johan, should we come to you next? Yes, uh, sounds like a really good book. I'll definitely have to check that out. And Søren, you sound like a really good manager, I have to say. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I've also written down the key, my key words, uh, which are respect, trust, openness and empowerment. And uh, uh, the whole ownership thing is also definitely key. Uh, but again, I'll, I'm, I'm not a people manager, so I'll give the the perspective of the team that I'm a part of. And uh, I have a, I'm lucky to have a really good manager myself. So um, so I can I, I try to analyze uh, what is it that she does right. So <clears throat> I'd say that the team I'm a part of has has grown a lot uh, over the last couple of years, and I dare to say that we are a team of high level performers, and uh, it works really well. Um, even though we have very different responsibilities, but these are clear responsibilities and we have ownership of our responsibilities and we have an instant feedback culture and we coach each other a lot. And this is what the manager has uh, has, has cultivated this whole uh, culture that we have. Um, and it's my belief that we've reached this level through the respect and trust and openness and empowerment um, that our manager in, instills in us. And uh, and we are each regarded as as experts in our respective areas, and that's even if if there's uh, mistakes are made or there's room to grow, um, then you, you are you are still an 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 expert even though that you are are learning because we will always be learning, and. Uh, Personally, I also regard the stakeholders outside of the team as um, experts in their respective areas. So uh, I try to to further instill this culture and the people that I'm engaging with, and uh, and that shows uh, respect and and uh, and I feel like um, um, when you uh, show this trust. In, in someone then they 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 do their best um, um because they 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 feel this uh, ownership that you talk about um and uh, and this genuine genuine responsibility uh because when you own something at least most people they would like to be proud of it and uh, and showcase the best possible uh, quality so uh, i think it's a lot of the same as you guys said <laughs> but it's a it, it is a very good question and uh, and i think we I, I agree a lot with you with you both on it on the answers excellent and fred 
Yeah, I think I think you guys mentioned uh, a lot of it. Uh, uh, you know, the key things that that needs to be part of the, the part of uh, you know getting to uh, the team growth and improvement. Uh, I guess to add, I would. Uh, I think it comes back first the uh, the culture uh, and and uh, uh, of the company and 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 it and and you have to have a, a, this openness uh, uh, in the culture that it's not. Uh, that that would allow uh, to sort of uh, unlock uh, accountability, unlock the ownership, uh, 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 in unlock you know uh, individual uh, uh, growth and development. Uh, so I t- I kind of take a step back. How how do you uh, unlock those things? And it's and it's really about the culture. Uh, and 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 just to put into an example. Uh, so in Plan A, we have a we have a, a something called like a, a decision uh, culture that everyone should uh, have the means to take a decision. And they did something really smart I've never seen before. Uh, the whole uh, the CEO and and everyone stood in front of the whole company and, and just really really explained the importance of that. Everyone in the company can take a decision. Uh, if you believe with something, and we have a process for it, and and you think this is right, you have uh, data that backs it up, and you and you communicate it. If if no one comes back to you with any argument, you can take that decision. Uh, we even have a form. What do you kind of fill out or a process? You send out to the company like this is what I'm going to do. Uh, get back to me with this date. Uh, if, if no one agrees, and if they, if if they disagree, that you have to come back with like a with with, with reasons. It's not just uh, uh, you know whining that's bad and not offering a solution. So that's very instilled in the planet culture, which I really really find uh, so attractive uh, uh, with the company because it it yes it allows for uh, uh, it removes the fear of doing something. It removes decision paralysis and. They also enforces this by also saying like, if you fail, if something breaks, it's fine. We'll clean it up. We'll clean it up together. Uh, you know, uh, you have the accountability, but like, we all are part of you taking this decision because no one said that you shouldn't. So, uh, so, we, so I think that is a good example from from our side to to just have that culture that would unlock for that. And then, of course. On my personal uh, team thing, I, you know, I try to really engage critical, you know, questions and having time to learn and and do upskilling and and allow people to be curious and figure things out. You know, uh, right now I have one uh, junior in my team that she's never tested how to do a succeed LinkedIn channel. You know, do it like absolutely. Come up with a plan. And uh, let's let's just try it out. Do it. Uh, I'll give you all the tools you need. You need an expert partner to help you set up. Yes, I'll, I'll pay for that. And then you'll 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 learn and you're doing. And that I believe that will uh, give a sense of ownership, and it will also feel that growth, uh, the individual growth that I'm developing. I'm learning a new thing. It doesn't matter that the worst thing I could do is like, oh, but you've never done that before, so you can't really do it, right? So. I mean, so you have to really uh, spot that uh, spark in the eye and curiosity, and believe that they can, they can figure it out. You know, so uh, yeah. 
I absolutely love that. I think that's uh, maybe the coolest thing I've heard today, that you have a, fo- a form for anyone. Anyone can make a decision and say, now I make a decision. So stop me if you think there's something wrong with it. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of that mentality. I think that that must have a really positive impact on your company. Are there any are there any downsides to this? Does this result in crazy things happening within the company or is it is it a positive only? There, <laughs> there are some uh, there are some downsides with uh uh, with it, so if you don't, so, uh, and I think they've been learning by doing. So you kind of need to have some guardrails on, like for instance, I'm going to invest in a tool that costs X amount of money, and there's no plan for how how this should be uh, done, or I'm 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 creating something, I don't know, I have a plan how this is going to work, five steps. So you kind of have to have, uh, but they kind of revise that, so you have to put in kind of this is what I'm doing, this is why I'm doing, this is. Uh, how it's going to play out, and I'm doing it for these reasons. Uh, please tell me, uh, come come to me if this makes sense. Otherwise, I'm going to take this decision, uh, uh, and 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 I'm going to do it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I've never I've never experienced before. I've, I've I've experienced people talk about empowerment, but then when it comes down to it, you get micromanaged, and you yeah. create that. Oh, I'm fear of taking that decision. I have to go ask a senior, and 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 here it's the opposite. It's like. Don't come ask me. The CEO say I don't know anything about uh, doing what you guys do. That's why I hired you guys. You're an expert, you know. <laughs> nice. So yeah, I, I, it's pretty cool. Johan, we'll come to you. Yeah, I haven't. I have an input here. Um, so uh, those of you, you all managers, right? Uh, so I have a question for you on on this. Um, do you? Uh, do you often, um, uh, I don't know how to phrase this, um, reach out to to your employees to talk about things? Because my perspective is that I'm the one that reaches out to my manager uh, most of the time. It's available all the time. But if I need, you know, coaching or some guidance uh, from her for some reason, or, you know, um, I, I want to do this, uh, make this this decision, can you back me up on it? Because uh, you often uh, need that. Uh, and I quite like it because it, it feels like uh, uh, my manager is, is available to help me when I need it. And I, it feels very modern <laughs> to me somehow, uh, because I've also tried managers that micromanage back in, uh, in, a long time ago, and uh, and that's the 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 old non-modern way to do it, right? Um, so yeah, Frederick, what do you think? Yeah, I uh, it's a good question. I've been thinking about uh, that too. Uh, I think uh, personally, what I try to do is I. I try to just encourage people to ask questions when they feel so, you know, start by really, uh, and, and I have to tell people in my team, you need to ask more questions. Uh, so ask, uh, if you feel you need to ask a question, ask a question, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and, but ask it in a relevant way. So, you know, me, you know, my CV, you know, my LinkedIn, so you know what I've done and, and you know what I'm good at and what I'm less good at. So if, if uh, you can always come to me on the things that I'm good at or bounce ideas, like just, I'm always here 24 seven, or, I mean, I might not pick up the phone, but you should always feel that you can come. Uh, mm-hmm. And the same thing I try to say on my own management thing, I really say like, Hey, if I'm doing something wrong or bad or, 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 or that you perceive in a different uh, way that I do, I want 
everyone to just come to me directly. Uh, never let anything uh, uh, linger. That's the worst thing. Yeah. Uh, and that's the, exactly how I do it with my kids. Like, you know, if you create this fear that they're afraid to come to you, it, it can go really, really bad. So I just want like, you can always come and tell me, like, I, I, I need it and I'm not going to be mad or anything. Tell me, hey, I, you made me yeah. feel like this. I'm like, oh, shit, you know, I didn't know or... So that's what I think is so important. That, that's exactly my point. Uh, the the open door policy, the uh, the the openness it, that no question is 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 really a, a bad question. I mean, maybe some are, but but most are not. And and uh, and the the um, the availability means the world to me. I have to say, um, and I think that's part of modern management. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had a fun thing with the employee that uh, he. he 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 asked me, "Hey, I forgot I forgot to file for an extra day of vacation, and uh, yeah, and uh, so sorry and Bob, and 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 you know he was he was concerned. I'm like, you don't have to be concerned. I mean, I'm gonna tell you what my boss told me. He told me, as I don't care if you sit in the bathroom and take four hour uh, bathroom breaks. I mean, as long as you deliver what you've said <laughs> that you've delivered, I can't. I don't care. And I said, I'm gonna say the same thing to you. You know, it's totally fine." You know, uh, you're accountable for it. So if you need another day of vacation, take it. You know, and if you're not going to make the deadline, just tell, tell, tell before. You know, uh, and he's like, "Oh no, no, I, I'm going to make the deadline." I just wanted to be sure. So I thought that was uh, a fun thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it makes it feel like you're actually working together, and 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 not have uh, the the tr- traditional manager doesn't really exist anymore. And in my mind, it's. It's more of a of a cooperation uh, these days, and I absolutely love this this modern uh, management strategy. Some fantastic answers there, Dimitar. Have you got something to add to kind of round us off? I, I can say I love the discussion, and it feels like uh, missing to the Scrum Master. Uh, so we've uh, you've enumerated already through most of the Scrum values, for example, and uh, Scrum, no matter what, I mean. It, it has started as an idea meeting the reality. It has become, in some cases, business and so on. But there are good underlying uh, things. So definitely I base a lot, uh, a lot of my approach on following values and principle, principles. So the Agile Manifesto written more than 20 years ago. Again, a lot of reason for inspiration. So I would say, for in my experience, uh, I usually start with uh, uh, with rather fundamentals and asking myself, what is a team? And uh, I found one definition that, uh, that kind of works for me. It's a group of people with a shared uh, purpose. So I would say having the, the purpose because I've, I've seen cases where the, the purpose was not clear. Then this is a prerequisite because without it, it's even not a team. And then the, the second thing, uh, thing over that is uh, probably focus. Uh, it uh, as an abstract uh, thing. It can be, uh, it can be, it is very elastic. Uh, and focus is also one of one of the values in Scrum, but uh, allowing the the team to uh, the focus to to find their way towards the the purpose, and allowing them to to have the time to to form to to make mistakes and so on. Everything that that you mentioned, without distractions of micromanagement uh, and so on, w- with the ability to instead of rush from one thing to the next, to rather 
pick one, deliver it in the in whatever quality means to them, uh, and and so on. Uh, this I found uh, to be the the foundation, uh, at least in the in the cases that I've worked. And all that you said contributes massively to to each its its factors and so on. So. Yeah, just me saying these two things doesn't mean that uh, that these are the holy grail or something. So just adding to to the, to the overall picture. There are so many variables, and in every group, it also different things matter. Thank thank you very much for sharing all this the, the different experiences. Really appreciate it. Excellent, guys. Has anybody got anything to add before we conclude? No, this is great. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I think for today, we'll leave it there. Um, this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I want to take this time, though, to uh, the opportunity to thank Dimitar, Fred, Johan and Soren for providing their insights into topics. Um, everyone's got varied uh, industries that they work in um, and some fantastic experiences and points made today. So um, I'd like to thank everyone for listening to. If you'd like to get involved in one of my upcoming podcasts, please reach out to me on LinkedIn or by email at sam.williamson at evolution.com dash nordics.com. See you next time.